From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrin. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi, your parents' well-appointed rec room with a simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of dogs playing poker, your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. Photographer, writer, lecturer, and the distributor and publisher of the UK edition of Nexus Magazine, Marcus Allen, is here discussing evidence that the Apollo lunar landings were a hoax. Now, it would seem to me that it would be pretty easy to put this whole discussion to rest. We have in the Chilean Andes in South America the uh, VLT, the Very Large Telescope. They really have to give it a better name. (laughs) A Very Large Telescope. And uh, supposedly they could train that on the moon, on the surface, and it would enable them for example, to see the flags and the footprints and so forth and all these things that were left behind. Why don't they do that? That's a sensible suggestion. In fact, that was a, an article that uh, I published about 15 years ago when the, the VLT, the Very Large Telescope, was being developed. And they actually said, when we're going to test our telescope, we're going to train it on the moon and see if we can see the Apollo landers there. That was 15 years ago, no, 2002 that was, so uh, they've been spending a long time testing it, but they haven't actually identified anything on the lunar surface. And the reason for that is the Very Large Telescope, and there's actually now an ULT, an ultra-large telescope, which is supposedly even better, it doesn't have the resolving power to be able to identify an object 10 foot high, which is what the lunar lander is, at a distance of 240,000 miles. Um, the same applies to the Hubble Space Telescope. That doesn't have the ability to see something of that size at that distance. What about the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter? Ah, glad you mentioned that, because that has the ability to see them. And in 2009, 2010, it was launched in 2009, it took photographs of the lunar landing sites and all the bits and pieces that were there, in 2010, and it was actually lowered down from its orbit of about 50 miles. It was lowered down to 15 miles above the lunar surface to photograph the Apollo landing sites, which it did. And you can see the photographs. They're on the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter website. And it shows all six Apollo landing sites. There's a problem, though. In order to know what you're looking at, NASA have had to put large arrows saying lander or rover or flag or lunar surface experiment because you can't see a thing. And this is totally ridiculous. You've probably looked at Google Maps and looked at your own house and you can probably see a car even parked outside. Yes. And if it's got a sunroof, you'll know which which way that car is pointing. Now, a few people might say, ah, but Google Maps don't use satellite photographs all the time. They use high-flying aircraft. Yes, they do. So I decided to find a satellite photograph taken, in my case, of London, because that's near where I live. And I found a very good photograph taken by the GOI-1 satellite, which orbits at 450 miles above the Earth's surface photographing through 75 miles of the Earth's atmosphere with the dust and pollution and the distortion that that would create. And you can see individual cars on the ground. 
You can even see people on the ground. But the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which had photographic equipment on board, which was able to photograph things at the same resolution as the GOI-1 satellite, i.e. 0.41 meters, just over two feet, that was its resolution. The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter had the same resolution. It could photograph objects of two feet across. But the photographs that have been displayed to show the Apollo landing sites, you don't know what you're looking at. They're little blobs, black, mm-hmm. white. They're not distinct objects, which you see in, in this case, in London. You can see individual cars. You can see individual people. And it's a photograph of the London Eye. So you can see individual capsules on the London Eye. And it's in color. The Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter photographs are in black and white. What's going on? That is a problem. It's a major problem because NASA are trying to persuade us that they have photographed the Apollo landing sites, but you can't identify anything on them at all from 15 miles away. I mean, through the vacuum of space. It makes no sense whatsoever. And anybody who claims that they are definitive proof of the landing is talking through their hat because... They're photoshopped. It's obvious. If you know how to identify a photoshopped image, you can see it is. All right, so they put the, the captions and the lettering on it. Maybe that's photoshopped. But you can't see individual footprints. You can't see individual tracks on the lunar surface. Or if you can, NASA claimed to show individual tracks. They're as wide as the lander. What are they, giants or something? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's, it's such a ridiculous idea. They're desperate to prove that they landed on the moon. Why don't they just hold their hands up and say, OK, it was a Cold War effort. We had to demonstrate to the world that America were technologically superior to the Soviet Union. We did it. We landed on the moon or we said we did. Everybody believed it. We won the Cold War. The Soviet Union collapsed. It's now the Russian Federation. Let's just move on. Let's solve the problems of space and let's stop mucking about with ridiculous ideas of sending humans to the moon 50 years ago. It never happened. Forget it. You lecture on this and you go right into the belly of the beast. Didn't you speak to before the the British Interplanetary Society? Oh, yes, I did. How did that go? Oh, that was great fun. Yeah, I was invited to speak to the British Interplanetary Society, which is the Longest established um, space enthusiasts group, I think you could call it. Uh, founded in 1933 in Liverpool, city of Liverpool. Great football team there, by the way. They moved to London uh, just before the war. Arthur C. Clarke was a leading member, very influential member. Patrick Moore, the astronomer, who recently died, was a member. Many important people within the space industry. Neil Armstrong was an honorary member of the British Interplanetary Society. Anyway, I was invited to speak there. This was in 2012, just before the London Olympics. I was invited to speak, and it caused terrible stir online. A lot of people said, how dare the venerable institution invite a hoax believer? Because that's what I am, apparently. I'm a hoax believer. How dare they besmirch themselves with somebody like this? So anyway, I I agreed that I would discuss only the photographs. I would make no comment about any of the Apollo landings or anything like that. I'd just look at the photographs and show the anomalies which I identified in the photographs, which I'd done. There have been several of that, and that went quite well. And 
they were very respectful. They didn't jeer me, didn't throw anything at me, and um, they asked very, very intelligent questions. But at the end of the day, it, uh, I was put up against somebody who would refute everything I had to say because he was a, a knowledgeable space enthusiast. So that uh, I, was, I was looking forward to this because I thought, well, if somebody's going to show me that I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong, show me why I'm wrong, I want to hear it. Because if I've got it wrong, then I should shut up and go away and do something else. But I wasn't, because this person didn't in any way, shape or form, refute anything that I had said. In fact, one of the questions was, why didn't this person refute what Marcus said? I haven't heard anything against what he said. Was what he said true? So it was a bit embarrassing. Anyway, I joined the British Interplanetary Society. I've been a member ever since, and... It was at the British Interplanetary Society, as I said at the beginning of the show, that I heard this talk which made me realise that uh, vacuums have serious detrimental effects on photographic film. And ironically, one of my uh, good friends lives very near Toronto, Scott Henderson, and he's a very enthusiastic Apollo researcher, and he decided to look into it as well, introduced me to a friend of his uh, called Bob Williams, who went out and bought a vacuum chamber to do the testing. There's another person who lives in Toronto, it's called Randy Walsh, who's written a very, very good book on the subject, uh, not, not to do with vacuum, to do with the inadequacy of the Saturn V rocket. It didn't appear to be able to do what it was claimed to do. And if it was such a wonderful piece of kit, which would launch 130 tons into lunar orbit, how come 50 years later they still haven't got a rocket that'll do better? The space launch system will only launch 130 tons into Earth orbit. So NASA appeared to have gone backwards. And the interesting development recently where Vice President Pence announced the return to the moon by 2024, and they've already put it back four years. We can't do it by 2024. We need more money. We need more people. We haven't got enough time. Hang on a minute. It took... Apollo, seven years from a standing start to allegedly landing on the moon, and you can't do it again with all the technology in the, for the last 50 years. You can't get back to the moon in less time than it took Apollo to do it. What's right, going they've, on? They've pushed it back to 2028. Is that right? Yeah, it is. They pushed it back to 2028. It's called Artemis, this program. Artemis was Apollo's twin sister. So they're presumably going to put ladies on the moon. Well, they've got to get some spacesuits for them to wear because they haven't got those yet. Mm -hmm. And spacesuits are a bit of an important part of the kit to get onto the lunar surface. So I don't see President Trump being particularly pleased, being told that he can't achieve something which uh, occurred 50 years ago. It just doesn't make sense. Speaking of spacesuits, how does air conditioning work in the vacuum of space? How would they keep cool? Well, air conditioning doesn't work in the vacuum of space because there's nowhere to dump the heat. Aha. The vacuum of space is a very good insulator. The only way to remove heat from a spacecraft or a space suit or from anything is radiate the heat away. It's something called the black body radiation temperature where you use the Stefan-Boltzmann constant to work out what the temperature of any body in space is going to be. And it depends on the amount of radiant energy being absorbed by that body and the amount of radiation of heat away from the body. And there will be a point at which the two are in equilibrium. Either there's as much heat being radiated away 
as there is being absorbed. And you can do the calculation. And if you take a spacecraft, a lunar lander, you know how much heat is being absorbed by it. You know how much heat it can radiate away and the time it would take to do that. And you can calculate the internal temperature of the lunar lander. And this is science, you know, this is physics, this, this is straightforward calculation, and the answer is 240 degrees Fahrenheit, hot enough to cook a chicken. Mm-hmm. Because you can't have an air conditioning unit in space. It doesn't work. There's nowhere to dump the heat. Therefore, you can only radiate it away. There doesn't appear to have been enough heat radiated away, certainly not in the spacesuits, because they were recirculating the air inside. You can remove heat. It's called the explosive decompression of water, where you vent water into a vacuum, and that will remove heat. And again, the temperature can be calculated. So you know how much temperature has to be removed from a spacesuit to enable somebody within that spacesuit to operate comfortably, and it would be about 80 degrees Fahrenheit, the internal temperature. So you know how much heat you've got to remove from it you know the area that the spacesuit occupies, uh, so you know how much heat is being absorbed by the spacesuit, as well as the internal heat from the astronaut inside the spacesuit. So you know how much water you're going to need to be able to, to remove that heat. And there isn't enough water carried on the spacesuit to do it. There's only about 20 minutes, not eight hours, as we're told occurred on Apollo 17. So you've got this ridiculous inconsistency with all the equipment and all the vacuum levels. And then you start getting into the vacuum problems of the film and you realize that the whole thing is a fabrication. Apollo was a fabrication for political reasons. How does NASA respond to the uh, the air conditioning question? Which we, I've never really heard a discussion on that. And uh, as you've just explained it, that it doesn't... That I've never heard that that issue uh, resolved. What do they say? Uh, NASA tend not to address these questions. Um, when uh, David Percy uh, and Mary Bennett were making their very complex film, What Happened on the Moon, it's a DVD, which looked into all these things, they interviewed NASA. They, uh, it was... Um, um, he, he was the... Uh, media spokesman and he was approached and he was asked these questions he was asked about the photographs and his response to several intelligent questions was we don't have enough time for this nitpicky claptrap <laughs> <laughs> oh dear oh dear uh, so NASA, NASA is living up to its other name of never a straight answer so that's uh, that's the answer to your question <laughs> there's never a straight answer Right. Now, this is a question I'm sure you fielded uh, ad nauseum, but uh, I have to throw it out there. And that is, how do you keep something uh, like a like a lunar landing hoax? How do you keep that a secret when I'm not sure what the figure is, the number of people that worked on the project, but tens of thousands, I'm guessing. Four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand. Four hundred thousand. Yes, because one of the things that NASA did to spread the load, as it were, They wanted to employ people in all 50 states in America. I don't know if they achieved it, but they certainly had companies working on little parts of the uh, NASA program. There were a lot of things to do. They had to build the rockets and the landers and the rovers and the spacesuits and the control centers. 
Uh, I mean, this was Boeing up in Washington State, Lockheed down in California, the control centers in Texas, the spacesuits in Delaware. Uh, Grumman were operating, I believe, in New York, making the uh, lunar lander. So it was going on all across America. And the figure normally quoted is 400,000 people who were working on it. Obviously, some of these were drivers and security staff and secretaries and cafeteria staff. But a lot of them were rocket scientists. So how do you keep this incredible story a secret? You don't. You don't. Do you really think that uh, you're going to go along and say to the people making the um, spacesuits, don't tell anybody, nobody's going to the moon, but don't tell anybody, though. Of course you're not going to do that. Everybody working on Apollo throughout America in the uh, eight years it took to create it were doing the very best job they could. They were working out what they had to do and they were doing the best job they could. So if you're building a rocket, you'll, you'll build the best rocket you can. You want to make it work because you know you're going to watch it take off because it's all going to be live on television, isn't it? So you can all sit down and watch it and say, well, I, I did a little bit of that. And you're going to be very proud of it. No, there was no big secret to keep. It's called compartmentalization. That is the way in which you, you know you have enough information to do your own job. You don't need to know anymore. The person building the rocket didn't have any reason to know what the people doing the control center were. People building the spacesuits had no reason to, un to know anything about the rovers. All they knew was they had to build the best spacesuits they could, or the best rovers they could. There was no secret to keep. So this idea... It, any, well, aside, any, from, aside from the astronauts who actually supposedly walked on the surface, how many people would, had to, have, would have uh, to have been in on the secret uh, I, minimum? I, yeah, good point. Uh, I would say that a maximum of 40. There were 20, 24 astronauts, Apollo astronauts. They were always the capsule Capcom at um, uh, Houston. The only person allowed to speak to the astronauts was another astronaut. So the astronauts would have probably known there would have been certain number of photographers around, certain number of senior personnel who would have had an overview of the whole picture, but very, very few. And they're not about to start talking about it. They are. All right, uh, Marcus, we've got to take another time out. We'll come back and we'll get to some calls as well. Marcus Allen stays with us from Nexus Magazine right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Welcome back. Marcus Allen stays with us. We'll get to the phone calls in just a moment. Just a quick programming note. Next week on this transmission, Dr. Andrew Silverman uh, will be with us. And uh, he's just written a new book called A Burst of Conscious Light, Near-Death Experiences, The Shroud of Turin, and the Limitless Potential of humanity. That's Dr. Andrew Silverman, live from the UK. That's next week on The Conspiracy Show. All right, let's say hi to uh, Scott checking in from London, Ontario. Scott, welcome. 
Yes, good evening, or good morning, Mr. Allen. How are you this morning? Thank you, Scott. Yeah, I'm well, thank you. Yes, I don't want to steal your thunder. I just wanted to say hi. How's the, how's the weather? I hear it's windy in uh, the UK. Oh, it's been very windy for the last 24 hours. It's calmed down a bit now. A few trees got blown over, but that was about it. Yeah. But, but it, the only it's, thing it's I could, near... I could uh, add is that uh, there probably had to be at least 40 people in on it because you have to add in the Playboy bunnies and the golf pro. Oh, you do? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, you'll have to explain that one. Sorry, the, the Playboy bunny. Sorry, that went over my head. Uh, the Playboy bunnies are are in the cue cards. They have three of them in the cue cards. Displayed in the like instead yeah, sorry. of instructions it, it, on what they're supposed to be doing, they had Playboy bunnies. Ah, okay, I see. Got it. And there are golf <laughs> right. balls all over the set. Uh, uh, they can I'm, be found I'm, everywhere I'm, in the photographs. All right. Thank yeah, you for that. Go ahead. Did you want to respond? Yeah, I was, I was going to say when uh, when some of the astronauts were were out moving around, they had what's called cue cards strapped to their wrist, and as a prank, somebody had put a Playboy bunny in one of them. Okay, all right. A photograph of a Playboy bunny. If anybody can remember those, yes. I don't. That, that, hence my confusion. All right. Thank uh, you for that, okay. Scott. Let's say hi to Jim from Toronto. Jim, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Is Jim there? Jim from Toronto? Hello, Mr. Allen. How are you, too? I'm well, thank you. Um, I just have uh, two, quick, uh, two quick questions. Um, number one, um, uh, I, I've seen this for a while on the Internet. Um, do you think that uh, Steven Spielberg was involved with the, the filming and all that, like faking the, the landing on the moon? I think you mean Stanley Kubrick. Oh, I thought it was Steven Spielberg. Well, the, the name that comes most often up most often is Stanley Kubrick, uh, and was supposedly using some of the same equipment he used on um, uh, Space Odyssey. Okay. Um, second question, real quick. Um, uh, that mo- I, I don't know if you guys have seen that movie Ad Astra. I have uh, not. No, I haven't yet. Um, I've heard about it. It's quite good, apparently. Uh, I was just wondering, because it shows them having a colony on the moon. Do you think that's possible in the near future or distant future? It's certainly possible to have a colony on the moon, but they'll they'll need to burrow underground to protect themselves from the radiation. Okay, but then. it's possible. I mean, first of all, they've got to get to the moon. They haven't even worked out how to do that yet. They suddenly haven't got a lander. That hasn't been developed yet, let alone designed. Uh, and... and maybe- uh, sir, uh, maybe one more quick question. Uh, why sure. haven't uh, humans actually gone to the moon in so long? Well, that's precisely the question. Yeah, because it's a very dangerous place to get to. Space space is not an environment that humans are designed to survive in. <coughs> All right, Jim, thank you for that. Well, let's address the Stanley Kubrick uh, legend uh, okay. that he may have been involved. Does he seem like a likely candidate, the one the one that would be able to pull something like that off? Well, Stanley Kubrick would certainly be, uh, shall we say, the top choice if anybody wanted to to film something of that complexity. Uh, But 
One problem with that is Stanley Kubrick usually wanted to uh, would have insisted on filming on location to get the actual right, get the scene right. <laughs> he was a perfectionist. A a but yeah. uh, uh, in my view, there is a connection with Stanley Kubrick. I don't believe Stanley Kubrick had very much to do with the filming. He was a film director. The person who might have not only been connected to Stanley Kubrick, but would certainly have had the skills to do the close model work that was required, and a great deal of what we see on the Apollo films are models. Uh, certainly the rover is a radio-controlled model, and there are mannequins, i.e. false humans, uh, was his special effects director, Douglas Trumbull, or possibly John Dykstra, who uh, worked on uh, Star Wars. These are people who had the skills to do model work which was what was being used in 2001 A Space Odyssey. It wasn't CGI. They were all miniatures. They were all models. The, the famous revolving space station you see uh, between the Earth and the Moon in 2001 A Space Odyssey was about six foot in diameter. It was built as a model. It was filmed as a model, but it was projected in such a way that the perspective was realistic enough for you to believe it was several hundred feet in diameter, and it was floating in space. That was the skill of the special effects director. So whether he did have anything to do with it or not, I don't know, but he would be a top candidate if anybody was going to, uh, shall we say, fabricate it. Because that's what you would need. You would need special effects skills. And Douglas Trumbull used models. Uh, he didn't use uh, CGI. He didn't use blue screen. That came much later. These were all miniatures. Um, he was involved with uh, Back to the Future. He was involved with Blade Runner, uh, the original Blade Runner, and um, Close Encounters. So he did work also with uh, Steven Spielberg on Close Encounters, but he worked primarily with Stanley Kubrick uh, on 2001 Space Odyssey, but he worked with other directors as well. But... His particular skill was in the use of effects. There's something called a snorkel camera. Anybody who's worked on film special effects will know the snorkel camera is what you use if you want to photograph models and the film which is then projected will appear to be life-size. Not model because it, it, it corrects the perspective and that was one of the ways in which you can always tell if a, if a special effects uh, scene has been used because the perspective appears wrong. Right, right. On, on, on a great many of the Apollo photographs, the perspective is correct because whoever created them knew exactly what they were doing. And in many cases, they were using models. They were using big um, stage sets. It was about 300 feet, more than 300 feet in diameter, the set. The backgrounds were projected and that's where the front projection comes in. That's what Stanley Kubrick was using in 2001 A Space Odyssey on the uh, Dawn of Man sequence at the beginning of the film. It was all filmed in uh, studios in the UK, but the, f the, the scene appears to be on the African plains. No, they were photographed, projected. It's a very good way of doing it. You don't have to travel all the way out to Africa to do the scene. You can do it in... in um, uh, MGM Studios in Boreham Wood, which is where he worked.
What, what other photographic? We're heading into a break here shortly. But what other photographic irregularities have you have you noticed that we haven't covered? Um, there are some. There are. It's a good. It's a good question. I'm just trying to work out what the most significant one would be. There are several where, in fact, earlier you had mentioned shadows going in strange directions. Um, one point I should make is that if you use more than one light source on a film, you may well get more than one shadow from the same object. And that doesn't appear on the uh, Apollo photographs. The, 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 the shadows go in, in strange directions on some of them, but that partly that is the, the, the artifact of using a film, a, a camera which takes one viewpoint and we've got two eyes, so we have two viewpoints, so that's why we can get stereo vision. And we sometimes don't compensate enough. When we uh, look at a railway line going off into the distance, we know that the railway line is parallel, but we see it as going off into one point in the distance called the vanishing point. And that's to do with perspective. Most of the photographs are correct in what they show. There are some photographs which do show shadows at angles which are much greater than one would expect from a single light source, i.e. presumably the sun. And uh, there's one quite famous one of Apollo 17, where you have the astronaut in the foreground, you have the shadow of the astronaut in the foreground, so obviously the sun is directly behind the astronaut, and a little rock about four or five feet to his right, the shadow for that appears to be at right angles, to his own shadow. Well, that can't happen. Well, could that be explained by the irregular uh, surface and also that the moon itself is, it's reflecting, but then it's a light source? Uh, Well, yes, this is uh, the argument put forward by many people that the moon itself is a light source, which implies that the light hitting it, let's, let's say that the moon is illuminated by the sun, which we know it is. And we can look up in the sky and we can see the moon. And it's bright, but it's not too bright to look at. We can't look at the sun because we know that's too bright. So how much light from the sun that hits the moon is reflected from it? And the answer is about 8%, depending on the surface material. The amount of light hitting the Earth and reflected from it is about 35% because we have clouds which are white and oceans which are blue, which are relatively light. On the Moon, we're told there is a special reflective surface which reflects the light, which shows that the shadows uh, are illuminated. And we go back to the uh, famous photograph of Buzz Aldrin walking down the ladder and he's lit up like a Christmas tree. But he's in the shadow of the lander. So where's that light source coming from? Oh, it's the reflective surface of the moon, we're told. No, it's not. The the lunar surface has the reflectivity of a road surface. 8% is reflective. Ah. It can't, there isn't enough light being reflected off the lunar surface to be recorded by the photographic film used to make, to picture the scene, Kodak Etochrome film. There is not enough light being reflected off that surface unless there is an additional light source. And that's what appears to be the case. 
if you use right. a technical term which is called ray tracing, where you can actually trace shadows and work out where the light source that created that illumination is coming from. Okay, uh, Marcus, we'll take another time out. We'll come back and get to some more calls. Marcus Allen with me, right here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Marcus Allen from Nexus Magazine stays with us. Uh, let's go right to the phones. Monique is calling from New York. Yeah. Good hello. morning, Monique. Yes. Hi there. You hear me? I can. You're yes. on the air with Marcus Allen. Go yes. ahead. Good, good evening for us. Uh, I'm very happy that I'm not the only one to believe that we never went to the moon. Uh, and um, so it, I felt very good about it. Here are a few things I wanted to let you know. Do you remember the picture of the first step of the astronaut? Yes, I do. I am an um, amateur photographer. The, the angle of this picture means the camera was opposite the person. Now, there was no camera on the foot of the module. The, the, the angle of the picture should have been from top down. And if you look That's at it, good. it's just straight ahead of the person. Where was the camera? Huh. Well, we're told yeah. it was it was attached to the the eagle. It doesn't make sense because um, they didn't have time to put a camera there because when they went down, the camera would have been burned by the friction. Oh uh, yes, that that uh, the camera that photographed um, the astronauts coming down the ladder and stepping onto the lunar surface. That was a TV camera made by Westinghouse TV camera that was on a special panel on the side of the lander that was released by Neil Armstrong just before he exited the lunar lander. Okay, make the camera was, yeah. was, was, was deliberately set up so that it would photograph him walking down the ladder. Now, when uh, he, yeah. After he'd done that, the camera was then taken away and put onto a tripod about 50 foot away so that we could see them erecting the flag and now, jumping do you, around. Do you see the difference in the quality of the picture going down the steps and then of the flag? Two completely, it was very poor. completely different uh, quality. Yes, that's correct. It's, so it's very different. It's it very bad quality. Same? But, but but one point which has never been addressed, to my knowledge, is how did they transmit that picture? They did, I don't think they had uh, the, the possibility, they didn't have the technology advanced to do that. Well, and they certainly didn't have the power on the lunar lander to transmit a television picture live across 240,000 miles of space and through 75 miles of the Earth's atmosphere because the lunar lander only had batteries. Yeah. And then and they, the picture they took, I saw that something was wrong. The sky was much too dark and the, f- the floor was much too light. The difference between the, the two didn't match a normal picture. When you take a picture, somehow it, isn't, it doesn't go. And the cameras I had on those times were not capable of doing the automatic like today. Is everything is computerized. So the camera would adjust. In those times, we didn't have those technology. No, that's that's correct. Uh, well, we did. 
Well, yes, the contrast. But that's contrast. that, for example, the contrast is why is, is how, for example, they explain why there are no stars see, visible in the in the in, in the sky. Yeah, uh, because I take my, ca- of the my, with my camera today, which has an eye, the, the camera will adjust either or either the floor will be very bright and the, the sky dark or vice versa. They right. didn't have that technology on those times. No, it's true, and also, but as um, Richard said, that's why we don't see stars in the sky because the, there's too it's too wide a range of illumination for the film to record it correctly. So they but got that right. <laughs> they got that part right. I don't think oh, it was going to try that. It was it was made up. It's not possible. Then we have well, another thing. The astronauts lived very old. Now, if they have, they would have been. Uh, um, there, with all the the um, the radiation. Uh, radiation, they wouldn't have been able to live that long, and they also well, refused to be interviewed many times. Well, Neil Armstrong certainly seemed like he was at a funeral. One would expect, after being the first man to walk on the moon, he would have been just overjoyed and, and ebullient, uh, and yet. Uh, he, he seemed like he was at a funeral. I always found that rather peculiar. I, I, th- I think many people have found that peculiar. That, that's the uh, press conference, the Apollo 11 press conference on August the 12th, uh, after they come out of their quarantine Winnebago. Uh, they came out, and, and as you say, they looked like they were at a funeral. Well, actually, they probably were, because <laughs> they knew perfectly well that if they uh, stepped out of line, they'd be six foot under in no time at all, because they had to maintain the fiction that they'd been to the moon. Nobody's been to the moon. Do so you remember right. in one of the... Monique, Monique we, we are out of time. I have to, we're heading into a break. Hold on, and we'll get to your follow-up question on the other side. Marcus Allen from Nexus Magazine stays with us. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts... And offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And you can say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. S-Y because I love you, R-E-T-T. And uh, just a reminder, uh, get on up to my website, strangeplanet.ca, and register. It's very quick, very, very quick and simple. Just need your name and email, and uh, then you will automatically subscribe to my free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum. And uh, also, your name automatically goes into the, into a monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. All right, uh, Monique from New York, one yes. final question before yeah, we move on, because I want to get to some was, other callers. Um, do you remember that in one of the pictures, they had forgotten to take the floodlights uh, in the back, you could see from far away there were floodlights, like a c- camera set up. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, Marcus, does that sound familiar? Yes, there are several photographs which which show what appears to be some sort of light in the background. Uh, they're usually dismissed as being lens flare, but uh, ironically, the Hasselblad lenses don't flare in that way. These yep. are, there, are se- there are several photographs showing two apparent light sources in the background mainly on Apollo 12 that, that occurs there where you've got some very very good photographs of uh, Al Bean who was the astronaut being photographed and in the background there's what looks like a piece of uh, apparatus 
with a couple of lights on it, as, as if they didn't do it. Now, if nobody landed on the moon, which is what I claim, and if anybody doesn't, doesn't agree with that and thinks that they did land on the moon, would they please provide me with three pieces of incontrovertible evidence that humans have landed on the lunar surface? In 25 years, I haven't found it. Nobody's provided it. So for somebody out there jumping up and down saying, he's talking rubbish, what is he on about? I know they landed on the moon. Right, tell me. Go to nexusmagazine.com, use the contact button, and you can send me an email. And I'll be delighted to hear from you. Don't be rude. No nasty names. Just explain how you understand that man has landed on the moon. I'll be delighted to hear. And if you can prove me wrong, I'll shut up, go away, and do something completely different. (laughs) Monique, thanks for the call. What kind of incontrovertible evidence would you be looking for? Evidence that is not uh, only available from NASA. I don't want to hear about the Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter photographs because uh, we've already covered that. I don't want to hear about uh, moon rocks because uh, there's no no saying that those all came from the moon. There's no there's no independent evidence that they came back from the moon. Please don't quote the uh, moon rock in the Netherlands because we know that that isn't correct. And there's some there's some interesting uh, there could well be evidence. I'd love to know what it is. I'm I'm more interested to 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 find out that I'm wrong than to find out I I know I'm right when I say that no human has landed on the moon and returned to Earth because there's no evidence that they have. They've All right, let's covered. say let's say hi to Razia who's checking in from Hamilton, Ontario. Razia, good morning. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Yeah, good morning. I listen to your show every Sunday. But thank you. God bless you. Your guest is ten years late. Because France exposed the whole thing in France ten years ago. My nephew, he speaks fluent French, and he worked in France for six years, and he married a French girl. And he, he was telling me about the show documentary on French TV about what a big hoax this landing on the moon was. And I was arguing with my nephew that how can America do something? So such a big lie like that, like it's worth, I, I was in 1969, I came from India to England and I watched the whole landing that 1969, me and my brother-in-law, we stayed up the whole night watching the moon, I mean watching the whole documentary show going on with David Frost. But my nephew said that, that they never went to the moon, it was all a big hoax. And France exposed this whole thing 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago. Well, Marcus so they, isn't, they know, new, of it. This is yes, Marcus isn't new to this hope. dance. He's been talking France about this for, only for many years. France was the only one who a documentary about the whole thing. Well, no, that's not true. There have been a number of documentaries. Uh, uh, a very good one called The Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Moon which yeah. is over 10 years old. So, yes, a, a number of people have made documentaries about this. Yeah, but you know, uh, are you familiar with that particular on documentary, you, on, Mark? Uh, the whole thing in France, people were glued to the TV listening to this documentary. And All right, let's get Marcus to respond, right, Razia, if I could get then. Marcus. 
Okay, if I could get Marcus to respond. Thank you. Yeah, uh, it's certainly true that uh, there have been documentaries made in many countries uh, refuting the moon landings. I've appeared on uh, French television contributing to one of the programs, not 10 years ago. This was about four or five years ago. I've appeared on Israeli television and Russian television, German television. There are many countries which are examining this now, and I believe the current figure is that 25% of people in America don't believe we landed on the moon, and that figure's gone up from 6% about 15 years ago. So an increasing number of people are taking the time and trouble to examine it, and like me, have found the uh, explanation for humans landing on the moon to be seriously deficient in hard, factual, verifiable evidence. Uh, Mark, let me just throw one more quick one here and let me yeah. get you to respond to this. This has to do with the Van Allen belts, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Uh, I'm just reading here on a website, uh, talking about this gap between the inner and outer Van Allen belt, sometimes called the safe zone or a safe slot, is caused by the very low frequency waves which scatter particles in pitch angle, which results in the... Oh, well, Anyway, they're talking about this safe zone. And so that the idea is that the, the, um, the rocket flew through this safe zone, minimizing the amount of radiation that the astronauts were exposed to. Ah, 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 dear, oh dear. Yes, there's all sorts of wonderful excuses. Um, yes, there is a separation between the two belts. There's an inner belt and an outer belt. So there will be an area where there is less radiation. <clears throat> but this idea that the astronauts skirted around the belts, so avoiding them, makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And it's actually a fabrication. Because if you're launching a rocket, which Apollo was launched from uh, Cape Canaveral uh, in Florida, and they flew out over the Atlantic towards Africa. And they would then circle the Earth um, and come back over North America and go on round. If you're going to do that, and after two, two orbits, you're going to then launch towards the moon, which you can see. I mean, the moon's visible when you're orbiting the Earth. Uh, and you head towards the moon, you're going to reach it three days later. Now, NASA have managed to come up with this wonderful explanation whereby they acknowledge that the Van Allen radiation belts are a danger because they now say that we skirted around them by launching the rockets through the poles because the Van Allen belts are not effective at the North and South Pole. Right, they're thinnest there. Yes, they're, they're thinnest. But there's a problem with that explanation, that you can't just change direction in your rocket. It takes a lot of fuel to do that. Rockets don't have brakes. They don't have a steering wheel. So when you set off on your rocket, it's the first law of motion. Uh, an object will remain in motion unless acted upon by another force. If you're going to go exit the, uh, an orbit on the Earth through the poles or via the poles, you have to be on a polar orbit. And the okay, only well, way you can be on a polar orbit is if you're launched from somewhere like Cape, uh, like Vandenberg Air Force Base. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there, Marcus, because we are out of time. But uh, okay. thank you so much for this. And again, Nexus Magazine, available at all good bookstores, newsstands, or you can go to uh, 
the website again quickly? NexusMagazine.com. That's Excellent. your source of information. Marcus, always a delight. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. All right. My thanks to Owen and Ryan back next week with a brand new program talking the Shroud of Turin. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light, what I say in a whisper. Proclaim from the rooftops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.